All right, everybody, we're back. And today we're talking about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. And we have the same panel for Episode 2 as we did Episode 1. Uh, Bill McConnell Watch 2015 continues. <laughs> um, and maybe he'll join us for Episodes 3 or 4 through 6. Um, but this is Russ, and I'm here with Frank A. Rincon. I'm here with Jim Dietz. And I'm here with Craig DeMonda. Guys, how are y'all? Send in the Good. clones. Send in the clones <laughs> on, the e- on Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, you know what would be the best job? Weatherman on Camino. Yes. <laughs> rain today, rain tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, you do like one, an hour a week and you're done. Yeah, it would be like the opposite of being a weatherman in L.A. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, Attack the Clones. Wow, where to begin? Yeah. Uh, so, so fast forward three years from last time. So this was released May 16th of 20, of 20, uh, of mm. 2002. You could say 2002, that's fine. Yeah, 2002. It sounds two. a little silly, but sure. Oh, back yeah. in the aughts. In back the in the aughts. Yeah. <laughs> so, this was... So, we had, you know, three years later, we've had the Phantom Menace and the reaction to that. And I, I think, at this point, it was just momentum, right? I mean, at this point, we know what the story is. You know, we wanted to see things fast forward. So, uh, you know, things just kept kept moving um and so kind of like we did for the last episode uh i'm curious to like what was going on with you guys during this time you know what were your expectations was it you know did you you know was it the same waiting in line you know all all of all of that stuff kind of going on um uh, up up until that point um I'll, i'll start i bought my ticket um as soon as i could i guess it was a like maybe a month in advance, and um, I just went to the theater and bought it. And and I at that time I was working at a place where someone had managed to download the trailer and put it on tape, and we were actually we would go frame by frame looking at the uh, looking at the trailer on this on this tape. And I I do remember just getting super excited about the arena scene in that trailer where they showed all the Jedis being surrounded and just thinking, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I was actually living in Chicago at the time and I remember distinctly, this was one of the first movies they released digitally. It was actually a digital presentation, which limited movie theaters at the time had digital projectors. There was only one, actually in the city of Chicago where I was living, like I said at the time, and I had to get tickets way in advance for that one. People were lined up for that one. It was only one screen type of situation again. But um, I do remember that that presentation of this movie was not that visually that much clearer or that much better than the film version <laughs> I saw like a couple days before. So it was like, okay, I, I spent all this, you know, I, I got online, I thought this would be so much better, but it really wasn't that much better than, uh, than, than the film presentation. But it was still interesting that that was still emerging at the time. And I don't remember when I first saw the trailer. Uh, did that come out during a special movie or a couple months before? I don't really remember that really uh, when that came out, but... I don't remember when the trailer came out either. Yeah, um, it wasn't as big of a deal, at least in my mind. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, in 2002, that was about the time my wife and I were just starting to get like the business plan together for Gypsy and trying and trying to you know figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to open up a restaurant. 
And uh, my head was in that game really big. And I remember it was the same uh, crew that I'd seen uh, The Phantom Menace with from the restaurant I was working at at that time as I was getting ready to transition from there to opening my own place. And we had been at this catering all day. It was a, a, um, a benefit. And we were, you know, feeding food, feeding rich people all day, you know. And we'd been out there from, like, noon, and we just, bought, you know, closed it up, like, around 10 or 11 because people were still asking for food or whatever. We were exhausted. We were covered with, like, kitchen stuff. And uh, we went to the midnight <laughs> showing. Like, we didn't even have time to shower or anything. Like, four or five of us just all sat in a row. And I feel bad for the rest of the people that had to sit in your ass because I know we just smelled, like, steak and charcoal and sweat. <laughs> and, and everything like that, like because we'd been out there all day catering and, and cooking over like an open uh, grill, you know, and a smoker. So, uh, but I remember sitting there and my buddies and I just kind of, it was almost grim. Like I, the words I would use would be diminished expectations after Phantom Menace. You know what I mean? We were really cautiously optimistic yeah. that it would be it would be better. And it, it almost seemed like, in, you know, not to go too in depth into like an analysis of the film or whatever, but it seemed like what Phantom Menace did, uh, some of the things, you know, Attack of Clones did better, and then some of the things it just did way, way worse. You know, like as bad as Jake Lloyd was in, in Phantom Menace, I thought Hayden Christensen was way worse. Um, as bad mm-hmm. as, as bad as like, um, as awkward as Jake Lloyd trying to hit on Natalie Portman was in the first movie, the entire sequence on Naboo in this movie is way way worse you know um the battle sequences that, you know the parts that are really cool are very very cool you know the sequence on camino with obi-wan versus Django fett very cool um the the sequence at the end like you said the geonosis and the thing the inclusion of christopher lee and watching christopher lee take out two jedi and then have to go up against yoda you know that was that was great you know mr scottamanga yeah, I mean, Christopher Lee classes up anything. I'll watch anything Christopher Lee did. He, he was a great guy. But anyway, I, um, I, I'm just saying, uh, you know, like the things that were cool in, in, in Phantom Menace were cooler in this. But the things that were terrible about Phantom Menace, the, the dialogue, the interpersonal relationships, all the stuff Lucas typically has trouble with, just seemed like even magnified to be worse than this to me anyway. I was watching the uh, the documentary... Uh, one of the documentaries for for this movie, and uh, they they showed a little Christopher Lee part, and Christopher Lee being Christopher Lee, you know the ultimate Christopher Lee ish he can be. He he's telling the interviewer he goes, "This is the most sophisticated sword fight I have ever been involved in." Please notice the usage <laughs> of my word "involved" in that I am not actually doing it. They will use a computer to take my face and put it on someone else's. Uh, it's just great to hear him like over explain and enunciate his involvement in this uh uh saber fight <laughs> right but i mean even though he he had like a you know digital stunt double or whatever like there the scenes where he has dialogue have a lot of impact like the scene with him where he has obi-wan in that stasis field or whatever and he's trying yeah. to explain to him that they you know and he's saying you know obi-wan is just saying lies lies but everything he says is true you know, there is a Sith yeah. Lord infiltrating everything. It starts Sidious, and, you know, everything he's telling Obi-Wan is true, but, I mean, that whole scene with, I mean, that is acting, you know. As opposed to Hayden Christensen, is more reacting, it seemed like, in a lot of things, um, in a lot of ways in this. The episode two stuff was pretty similar to the episode one, where, you know, got tickets in advance, uh, took the day off work, took the kids. Um, the only thing that was funny, a couple, couple things, one, 
so the company was worried that everybody was going to try and take the day off and that they didn't want they didn't want the entire staff because I was working for a different company at the time. Uh, they didn't want the whole staff out. So literally, at least for the development department, which was the largest segment of the of the entire company, they bought tickets for everybody, and you had your choice. You could pick the the early or afternoon, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and they would let you go. And it's and the company paid for the tickets, which was really hilarious. Um, but we'd you know me and my buddy Glenn and the kids, you know, we'd all already got our tickets, and kind of the the same thing. We you know, saw it twice that day, um, early and late. That one, that one actually, I think we did do a midnight. We did, we did the midnight show for that one. The kids were a little older, so it wasn't as big of a deal. But we, yeah, we did the midnight, and then we did um, a later afternoon show. So we saw it twice again uh, for that one. So, but yeah, that yeah, was I, the. the, uh, the, the I, I remember going to the midnight show. I went by myself, and. Uh, I do remember I kind of walk up, you know, I, I walked my seat around 1130 and it wasn't reserves. It was just been, and then I kind of walk in, I'm by myself, so I could sit kind of wherever I want, you know, wherever the single seat. And so I barely these seats next to a guy and the guy, and I start talking. He says how he's been there for like 12 hours in line waiting to get the seat and stuff. That. And they go, oh really? I just kind of in, and and you could see his face just kind of drop, like oh, uh, you know, he spent time in line, and I just come strolling and whistling, you know, with my big diet coke, and just like, hey, just right here next to you. So, did anyone else see the movie digitally, like I did? Like, I know that was a big deal funny. back then. Yeah, funny story. So that yeah. theater you're talking about. Yes. So, so I saw it twice on film. Uh, the fu- that summer, or later that summer in August, uh, I took my family. We all went to to Chicago for uh, vacation. Okay, well, okay. For me, it's back home, but but it was Chicago. So I know that theater you're talking about. I think it was in, wasn't it in Schaumburg? Um, well, hold on. That no, this one actually was in the city. There was okay. one in Schaumburg. I think that was yes. more of an IMAX type of seventy millimeter presentation. Um, it was di- well, it was digital. Yeah, there, yeah. There were there were only like two theaters in the whole city that were digital. Correct. So correct. It, it's funny because. My family's all on the south side, so going to Schaumburg was kind of a hike. And so we all trekked out to Schaumburg to see it digital. Um, and I, I, for me, I was impressed because I've come to notice, like at least with film, it's amazing you don't, in a short period of time, it's, it's now become a non-issue. But, uh, you know, seeing, you know, the scratches and the, you know, and then the, the, the change reel blurb right. and all that kind of the stuff. The burn mark in the corner, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, with the digital, it's really sweet because it's just it's just clean. You know, to me, that's just what I noticed is just how clean it was as compared to film, especially it was shot digitally. It was it was projected. So to me, it was like a big deal um, to, to see that. I almost saw, to backtrack a little bit, I almost saw episode one digitally in Los Angeles. Uh, they had a limited engagement. I'm trying to think of when this was. This is probably late 99, early 2000. And at the Chinese theater, they were showing. Oh, wow. It was only like once or twice a day they were showing digital. And it was only for like a two-week engagement. And I mm-hmm. happened to be out there. Um, but it was such a hassle. Like by the time we got out there, it was like parking was like in a really kind of seedy area. And I, you know, it was like one of those things that was like, man, I don't feel real safe, like being here. So we didn't end up going to see it. 
there. But for episode two, yeah, we we made the the trek out to the north side, and uh, and saw and saw it digitally. The other time I saw it, my wife and I were down in in Galveston here in in you know near Houston, and uh, the, the there's an IMAX screen down there, and they were showing the IMAX version of episode two. Oh wow! And so. Yeah, they converted it to IMAX, but it was funny because the platter size could only hold two hours. Yeah, uh, back, the seventy back millimeter uh, the film, right? The yeah, um, yeah. Right. So they had to actually chop the movie to get it to fit. It was basically a cut. So the the movie itself oh, was wow. like two. Yeah, it was like two twenty, and so to get it to display, they had to do it right at two hours. So they chopped a lot of stuff. Um, you know, most of like not all of it, but most of you know, like the love scenes and stuff like that. All that subplot, a lot of it got clipped, uh, and and there was just I forget, there was some other. I think maybe they clipped down the chase at the beginning, uh, the you know the basically the car chase that went on way too long. Um, <laughs> that sounds like the perfect version to watch. I mean, those scenes all could have been cut, so that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say that too. Yeah, yeah. So they chopped some of that stuff down, and it was it was kind of interesting to see it just in that large format. Uh, you know, it it wasn't digital or anything no. because it was it was IMAX film, but it was kind of cool to to see it, you know, framed that way, uh, and and recut. So that was kind of interesting. So I saw <laughs> I saw it four times in the movie theater, which is kind of crazy. Uh, there is something very magical though about that seventy millimeter IMAX format, even though it is film. Seeing it fill that whole what is it six story high screen or whatever the hell it is, I mean that is just uh, something still magical. In fact, I just saw recently the. Um, the 007 movie uh, Spectre in New York City in the 70 millimeter screen, and they didn't film it really in IMAX, but they they filled up the screen pretty nicely. And uh, there is something pretty special watching a movie that way. But going back to the digital for one second, you know, I was expecting this revolutionary picture. Like I was like, they 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 touted it to be it's digital, it's perfect, it's perfection. And when you get there, okay, it looks like somebody's. Nowadays, the projectors are much better, but back then, it was like somebody's LCD projector just projecting <laughs> the movie on the screen. And the only thing you didn't see was the burn marks in the corner and the scratchy and the poppy and you know the little nuances that you get with film. But other than that, I was like, that, that's it? I'm like, that that was the whole – that's why I went, drove to the city and waited in line to see this, this digital version. So it was a little bit, little bit of a letdown for me, but I understood at the time it was an emerging technology. Yeah, it's funny. I mean – you know, we've gone from 2002 to it being a novelty and something you had to search out in a very limited number of, of you know, theaters in the in the country that had it to now it's just commonplace. And I mean, I think, you know, again, I think it's one of those things you can credit Lucas for because he was yep. really big on, you know, digital projection. Because, again, you could show the movie a thousand times and it looks as good on the thousandth time as it did the first time. Yep. You know, whereas film... It doesn't hold up. And, I mean, you think about it from a cost perspective and, uh, you know, just, just a, you know, ecological impact and everything else. I mean, film is not is not good. I mean, it, it doesn't – A, it doesn't hold up. It's expensive. It's bulky. It has to be shipped. You know, it's it's flammable. It's, it's you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not – It's subject to its surroundings. It's going to yeah. deteriorate. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think I heard that Anchorman 2 may have been the last – Movie. I wonder if I'm remembering this right. The last movie to actually be distributed on film, or maybe wow. it was solely distributed on digitally. I can't remember. It's one of those things. But uh, like Anchorman Two marks something where like we pretty much made the conversion all the way to to being digital now. 
Mm. That's definitely the end of an era. Yeah, and it was kind of funny going back to where you were talking about. It seemed like, man, that's going to take forever, you know, for all these theaters to convert. Because I remember hearing these news stories about, like, you know, what are theater owners going to do? They're going to have to convert to these more expensive projectors. And and I kept thinking, oh, that's going to take years, and we're never going to get it and stuff. And now, you know, here we are 10, 12 years later, and it's, like you said, it's commonplace. Now we're we're like the opposite, right? You know, uh, the Hateful Eight is going to be coming out Christmas Day. Tarantino's doing like a roadshow 70 millimeter. And <laughs> it's going to be like, good luck trying to find a theater that's going to be able to project 70 millimeter film. There's only like 15 yeah. in the country. There's yeah. only 15 yeah. real legitimate IMAX 70 millimeter, six story tall screens left in the country. That's it. And they have the projectors to go along with them. Those big sideways cart, you know, they're huge. They're, 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 they're colossal projectors and there's not many left. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, 70 millimeter, well, 70 millimeter was always kind of a bit of a novelty. Uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, I think I think for a while it was more commonplace, but I know even in the 80s and the 90s, there weren't a ton of theaters that would show widescreen 70 millimeter, uh, you know, uh, you know. Right, the ultra widescreen, yes. The, the yeah yeah the true seventy millimeter was, was definitely rare and that's the theater I was describing uh, where I saw episode one in it was a single screen seventy millimeter theater and obviously by the time the turn of the century happened the multiplexes put it out of business I mean one yeah. screen theater just isn't viable anymore when you can go to a theater and see your choice of fifteen movies now I mean it's just yeah. it's, it's it's a dinosaur. Although lately, in, in, at least in our city, there's been a resurgence of single screen, uh, like repertory uh, theaters. They'll show older movies, or uh, they'll show like uh, smaller distribution horror films, or uh, smaller distribution uh, indie movies. That cool. seems to be like, like a that. real, real resurgence of that. Like, uh, and it's more of a higher end thing. Like, you go, they have they have a liquor license, they have like a limited menu of food. I mean, it's it's more of a like an out, you know night out rather than just you know going to the mall to see the new movies. And, yeah, so I saw a Rocky Horror like, Picture Show when I was in Boston. They did a midnight showing, and a lot of towns do this. Apparently, they do like a every Saturday night you can go see Rocky Horror in in a theater, and right. they have actors up there with the noisemakers and the toilet paper and all the stuff they throw around. And it's it was definitely an experience. I'm glad I did it. I'm not a big Rocky Horror fan, but it was cool to be there for that. Well, in the one neighborhood here in uh, Lawrenceville, it's kind of like uh, Pittsburgh's Brooklyn, I guess. Uh, they just opened a, a place that's been very popular, and what they'll do is all the theme. Uh, for a weekend, like they'll show all Monty Python movies over a weekend, or they'll show so like cool. they had uh, Cyberpunk was like one of their themes, and they did that over a weekend. Uh, and then during the week, people rent it out for like private parties. So it's uh, it's interesting. It's kind of like the resurgence of vinyl. You know, it's like there's this like kind of <laughs> kind of like a backlash backlash to the digital technology. You know, among the consumers, they want the pops and the hisses, and they want the little scratches in the film. They they want they, that sound. They want the pan- and they want the pampered feeling of an old like one screen movie theater where you're not hearing you know if you go to see a smaller scale movie or more of a dialogue rich movie you're not hearing the explosions from a Michael Bay movie in the next you know, next door over. boom yeah right yeah. so this one you know the other thing with Attack of the Clones that was different from the other two movies the episode one and what will be episode three is this one was co written so. Lucas brought in Jonathan Hales to work with the script, but mm. uh, what's funny is it really, I, I don't know if he came in and just did, you know, helped him on some idea stuff or whatever, because 
there's no way he helped with the dialogue because the dialogue, I think, in places for this one are in some in some ways, like you know, Jim, you were saying, is worse than than it was even for episode one, which is kind of terrible. So. Yeah, I mean, it does, the movie does have have a, a central mystery that they're trying to figure out. So there is, I don't know if you want to calling it film noir is being that's stretching that's a, that's stretch. a super yeah, stretch. elements of that that's like yeah, a there, but there are stretch. elements yeah and if there's some type of detective story that you know that that ben is on that ben kenobi's on there there's there's some minor levels to this story that weren't in episode one or even star wars for that matter bring on the parliamentary procedure <laughs> yeah i mean the clunky dialogue began Right at the beginning, right between Anakin and 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 Obi Wan, just that in the elevator riding up to see Padme, and just it's just the clunkiness didn't didn't gradually start. It just started right away. Boom! Here we go. Here's the weird, cringing, strange dialogue between the two of them. I did like the scenes in early on where they were chasing that assassin. I thought the car chase was a bit long. It seemed again George Lucas was flexing his digital muscles, so to speak, showing showing the world. Look at me! Look what I did! This imaginary car chase, all digital. I mean, yeah, it was it was interesting, but it could have been shortened quite a bit. But I like that scene, even in the, in the nightclub when they when they found the the uh, quote unquote assassin, and then you know it, it it wasn't a bad way to start the movie. I, I did I did like it at that point, right up to I, that point. I think I timed it once, and from him crashing. Like them leaping out, you know, to chase Zamwezel until they landed, you know, basically on the ground. I think it was nine minutes. And I was like, that's a long time in film. That's That's a long time. Yeah, Yeah. that's an eternity. I'm like, that should have been like four minutes. You know, it it was good. I mean, there were there's parts of it that were I mean, it was it was a cool sequence. I mean, just, you know, I mean, I love car chases and this is just kind of like, you know, car chase to the next level. But, you know. Again, it should have been just chopped in half. Um, I thought the I thought the Zam Wessel. I I had high hopes for that character. I don't know why. I thought maybe it might have been they might have been trying to make she's another a bounty hunter man. Yeah, I think the bounty, bounty hunter, hunter part of it. Yeah, you know, and and attractive too. And I just thought there was going to be more to it than the, the the tiny bit we got of her. You know, I was hoping for backstory. I was hoping for, you know, just more of a mystery. But all we see her is in that one car chase, and then that's kind of it. At least we got more of her in episode two than we got of Aura Singh in episode one. <laughs> oh, and, that's uh, right, <laughs> man. That was a that was such a cool character, and and then nothing, nothing. like yeah. you know they they just did nothing with it. And I think you know if anything, one of the big criticisms of the prequels is you know you introduce these really cool characters and then you know they're killed off. I, and I guess to some degree he's done that. I mean, you know, Boba Fett's the coolest character ever, and his screen time in the original two movies is, you know, Empire and Jedi is infinitesimal compared to the total runtime. But it just seemed like it was, you know, I mean, Darth Maul is one of the greatest looking and, uh, you know, well done villains, you know, in all of cinema. I'm not saying top five, but, yeah. you know, he's he's up there. And, you know, to dispatch him in the first movie was just like, ugh. And, yeah, uh, you got nothing out of him. Yeah, yeah. But the way he was, he, uh, but the way he was, uh, uh, he was killed, there's just the slightest, slightest hope that maybe, you know, uh, I, I think, 
I think in the back of some people's minds, I know in the back of my mind, I was kind of hoping that maybe he might reappear with like cyborg legs in the, right. in the third <laughs> the movie. Wars. Like maybe he's still around, maybe, but obviously technically it's canon. Out. He is like he yeah. showed up in the Clone Wars. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He, uh, he had like spider legs, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Spider bot legs. Yeah. But the, one of the things that we did get in this movie, I mean, to, if if we want to flip to to the good, is the epic Jedi battle that we've wanted to see for twenty five years. At that point, I mean, it was you know, you know, one of the things with the original trilogy is you know there was very limited number of Jedi, and and in this one we finally get to see this crazy epic battle, um, you know, with with Jedi running everywhere and lightsaber fights and vehicles, and I mean the the third the third act that you we kind of talked about it last time, but the third act of this movie is actually pretty well done. I mean, a lot of good action. Um, you know the 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 effects and stuff were really well done. The choreography was really good. Uh, it's it's just like the first two thirds were a bit of a mess. Samuel, you know? this party's yeah. over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in the first movie, he was just kind of sitting on the console. He's like, he has a couple lines or whatever. But this, he's like actually out kicking butt with his purple lightsaber. You know. It- in the Chicago theater, when we when he said that line, this party's over. Everybody started laughing like it was the, the <laughs> it's definitely the laughing point of the movie. You know. That, that then, last that last act of the movie, though, I mean, it really it, it really saves it. I mean, that's my favorite part. I mean, that's why I like Attack of the Clones so much. You know, just that last part of the movie makes up for everything else. And I don't think I mentioned it in our last podcast, but if you really want, like, a dissection of a lot of the problems with these movies, like a really, like, in-depth dissection, uh, go to Red Letter Media on YouTube, uh, the Mr. Plunkett series, mm-hmm. uh, where he talks to, I mean, it's pretty humorous and weird, but he has a lot of really, like, good, valid, thoughtful points about these movies and what could have been done to improve them, you know. I did like the scenes on Tatooine. Actually, I thought that was a ni- nice little callback to to Episode Four, and they recreated yeah. that home, the large home, oh, very yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, and yeah. I, I thought it was. I mean, you know, we talk about Lucas over-explaining everything and give explanation where there isn't really one necessary, but you know, kind of getting closure on like, okay, who is Uncle Owen? Like, what you know, what relation? Like, that doesn't make you know sense. And seeing how that fit, I guess was you know, kind of gave us closure with that and, and was, was fine. You know, I didn't, I didn't really have a, you know, if you're going to over explain over, you know, explaining there is, is fine. Um, but, but yeah, I, I agree that whole, the, the, the Tatooine stuff didn't really, I mean, other than the dialogue, because right. you know, the dialogue again. was the problem, but the, the visuals yeah. around the dialogue were cool. Just mute your TV. It's actually a pretty cool sequence. I mean, yeah. and, uh, I really, I really, uh, I know that there's a lot of fanboy hate for Hayden Christensen. I don't want to mm. put more fuel on the bonfire, but I mean, I just think he was miscast. You know? oh, absolutely. I just really well, don't think, I don't, yeah. I don't think he had like the, like emotional depth or range for this role. Cause no, like Tatooine was supposed to be like a big turning point for him. I mean, he killed all those people, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was supposed to be like the beginning of the, and it just, he just looked like vaguely constipated, you know, rather than like, you know, having emotion and emotional and teared crisis. up. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah having and, a temper tantrum. He's throwing yeah, things in, exactly. in the workshop there and, and you know, just whining to, to Padme. Let me ask you guys a question. Cause you, you probably know this better than me. Those visions he was having earlier on in the movie that forced him to go to Tatooine, was that served by Palpatine, or was he just so. reading the no. Force himself? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think there was any influence on that. Yeah. Okay, because I thought maybe after watching Sith, 
Oh yeah, yeah. I thought maybe because you know in the Revenge of the Sith, he, wasn't he forcing those images of Padme possibly dying on him? No, no, he wasn't. Okay. Well, I mean, maybe, but I, I didn't, I didn't get that from it. I, you know, again, he, it, he just, you know, forced sensitivity. I mean, we see it with Luke, you know, not visually, but you know, when Luke was on Dagobah, and so upside down, and he sees it. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, that the precedent is kind of set where, you know, you have visions and and can see the future and and things like that. But. And Jim, you you had mentioned about Hayden being, you know, a, a flat performance and that's definitely true, but kind of everyone, even Samuel L, he's pretty flat in this movie. I mean, it's just <laughs> all around. And, you know, Samuel Jackson, he's he's a big presence too, so to even make him kind of flat, I mean, that's all on George, man. That's it is. that's just his fault. I mean, it just Jimmy needed... Smith too. Jimmy Smith is a good actor. <laughs> He's, I mean, he's almost in this movie. He, yeah, uh, kind of. He he's, he's in the probably, preview. <laughs> he yeah. probably yeah. E- emotes the most, and that's and that's barely anything. You know, um, is it in episode two or three where he 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 sees the armada gathering together and he he clenches his fist in frustration? That that's in this movie, right? Yeah, that, that's, this is at the end. Yeah, that yeah, scene. yeah. And yeah, even that's a little heavy handed, the way he clenches his fist and just kind of, it's like he's clutching his pearls thing. and just like looking off to the side. Um, yeah, just, the, the, it just wasn't served. Um, bad script, bad, bad directing, I, great I, I CG. Think of, of anyone, Ewan McGregor probably was able to salvage the best performance. I mean, he was, yeah. he was charismatic. He was believable, even with bad dialogue. It was almost kind of like a Harrison Ford situation, right? Where you're giving this guy bad dialogue, and he's really doing the best he can with it. And he comes across as pretty charismatic. I mean, that that you know, when they're all tied up to the post, and and uh, and I thought this is actually one of Hayden Christensen's best delivered lines. He's like, "We came to rescue you," and then <laughs> and Obi Wan looks up and he goes, "Good job, Good job. yeah." <laughs> you know, there's just you know moments like that, and just you know. Obi-Wan with Dexter Jetster in the which is kind of a goofy scene but you know just that whole conversation that he has with them trying to unravel this mystery and then you know the way he plays off when he goes to Geonosis that you know uh, yes I was sent by Master Sifo Diaz you know just like you know or sent by the council you know just the whole you know way he plays things off I I, I you know I really think that that McGregor is uh uh, you know, a little maybe underrated uh, for the prequel trilogy and, and kind of got sucked into it. it would, you know, he wasn't, he didn't come out and speak negatively, but he wasn't overly positive about mm-hmm. his experience on that movie. But he's come out recently and said, you know, hey, if they ever wanted to do like a spinoff, I think I'd be down for it. And I, I think part of that is he realizes, A, it'd probably be a big paycheck. <laughs> B, Disney owns it and, you know, George is kind of out. So he'd probably be able to work with an actual, you know, uh, you know, a, I, I can't say seasoned or established director because uh, George Lucas is definitely both of those. But, um, you know, maybe a, a better director, you know, somebody that's more, uh, you know, a more natural director. I and think. maybe or redeem also, that role a little bit, you know. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, there's all, he also tells a story about how he, Star Wars was so revered in his household because his uncle, uh, Dennis Lawson, played Wedge. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, like, he grew up, like, hearing all these stories about Star Wars and making the original Star Wars movies or whatever, so that, I mean, he had a natural affinity for the, for the series. That's why he jumped to the chance to be in the prequel. 
the, the scenes that were, I think, the best, you called out the one in, in the Coliseum where they were talking, and it was a little bit of a joke. It's where they actually spoke like humans. A lot of this yeah. movie, the dialogue, nobody talks like that. Nobody, <laughs> nobody speaks like that. Go back to the first three movies. Luke well, speaks like a human. Obviously, Han and Leia, their interaction, especially in the tunnel, well, uh, you know, where they're, they're talking about their relationship and they're frustrated. I mean, they're speaking like human beings speak. And the, when they start to go in this elaborate dialogue, it's, it's like, what? What are they saying? What is this guy talking about? It, 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 it takes you out of it almost. Well, even with, you know, the the original Star Wars, the, you know, there's that famous quote from Harrison Ford uh, to George Lucas. And he, he, he said, you know, he goes, I told George, he's like, you can write this, shit, but you can't say it. You know, it's just it's like that was, you know, that that was it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was Harrison's, you know, deal for a long time. But uh, so it's it's always been a bit problematic, uh, but especially in this movie. I mean, you got to admit, yeah. I mean, you're cringing yeah. in your seat listening to some of this dialogue. Obviously, the lovey dovey stuff. I'll leave. I won't even talk about that. We'll leave that stuff aside. But just even the normal conversations with Mace Windu, you know, who really I was cringing with a lot was Yoda. It's like he sounded so strange and so weird. Uh, he was talking to the kids, and just it was a very odd uh, yeah. Yoda script. Like in the Return of the Jedi: Empire Strikes Back, he was the honored elder, but he spoke normally, even though a little bit backwards. He made sense. He didn't make sense in this movie so much. It was just very weird. Yeah, I'll give you that. The dialogue was just you put. I mean, finger on the nose. It's just not the. It's not realistic. Yeah, one of the speaking of earlier, we were talking about characters that uh, left us too soon. Uh, we get one of the coolest characters as well, Django Fett, and uh, yeah. poor Django doesn't doesn't make it very long. Which <laughs> I, I I totally understand why. You know, the whole purpose of that was to set Boba Fett on his path and losing his father at a young age and the the armor and all that other kind of stuff you know, obviously was meant to, to show that, but he was just such a cool, like Tamira Morrison did a really good job. Again, another, another, you know, person that, that probably outacted his, his performance, uh, you know, but just, you know, that whole bit with him and Obi-Wan kind of the cat and mouse. And then you know, the fight scene on Geonosis. I mean, that was all good stuff. And, you know, he kind of got taken out unceremoniously by Mace Windu, but, uh, right. It was a pleasure to meet a Jedi. It was just yeah. nice. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, it was a good scene. He definitely held his own. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, the, they did have a lot of him flying around the ship, and they did have a lot of ship to ship battle with him. And um, dude, you know that in the asteroid belt. Mm-hmm. I I will say, and, and it he took got me... out of that the exact same way Han Solo did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hiding on the rock, right? Grappling hook to the rock. Uh, yeah. I, I, I must say, and it took me two viewings because I thought, and I've talked to almost everybody I've talked to has said the exact same thing, but that implosion bomb, when it, when it, or the void bomb or whatever they call it, when that thing went off and there was silence and you started to see the wave and then it made that heavy bass note. Yeah. I thought the sound went out. And then when I saw it again, <laughs> it wasn't the case. That sound effect, I mean, again, Ben Burt, like master, master of the sound, but that has got to be one of the coolest sound effects tied to a visual I have ever seen in a movie. I mean, that to me, that was just that was phenomenal. I mean, that, yeah, that, that noise. I mean, it's it's funny. I'm, I'm playing the Star Wars Battlefront game and there's a uh, there's a thermal imploder you get. It's it's basically a gren- it's a big grenade. 
and it, and they use that sound that just like heavy bass note that reverberates and stuff and it's just like it, it that was awesome just to just to see the the wave yes. and then you know they they totally cut out all the sound and then you get that was i don't know if you guys had the same experience in no the it, it was it impactful was i mean yeah. it was like yeah i mean i i was taken back by it I'm watching the movie right now. Actually, they're on the scene where they're in the droid factory. They could have cut a lot of that stuff out too. I mean, a lot yeah. of that was just goofy. I'm, you know, I'm watching mm-hmm. it now, and is I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like kid fan service, and right. It's like okay, I, I get it. Like you know, you got to have your little bit of a silly scene. You know, it's it's fine. Um, but you know, just even seeing Slave One, you know, with that with that whole dogfight with Obi Wan, just you know, flying through space. I mean, that was like a big part of the trailer where you saw like Slave One coming at you with the lasers mm-hmm. just firing, you know, full bore. Uh, you know that stuff was was really cool to see because again, Slave One didn't really get to see it very much in Empire Strikes Back. It, they loaded Han Solo up, you know, it took off. You, they, you know, he was you know hiding and then and then chases him. You know, it was like very limited. So to kind of get a little bit more of that action in this one, I thought was was again something that they they kind of said, okay, we we gave you a little tease of this, you know, twenty years ago. Let's let's follow up with this. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Russ, you had mentioned Sifo Diaz. Am I saying that right? Yes. Cipher Cipher Diaz, or is that Cipher Diaz? Okay. okay. I I seem to remember we became obsessed with after the movie was over, trying to figure out who or <laughs> what that was. Did you guys do the same thing? I mean, did you theory craft over that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they kind of explained it in the in the movie, but not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and it turns out if I'm not mistaken and i think they even followed on the the final season of the clone wars uh they they d- followed up with this even further but i'm pretty sure it was dooku that was posing as sifo um, yeah yeah that, that was that went to geonosis and set up the they, whole yeah, yeah yeah i mean it, it was and they kind of alluded to that in the um yeah. in the movie because because jango even says well i don't know about that I, I you know i always dealt with a man named tyrannus which which is course, dooku was, Right. Which we find out Dooku's Darth Tyrannus, which yeah. seemed kind of stupid that they would give him a Darth title, yet he's still widely known by his count. T- like that whole thing was just <laughs> right. a little bizarre to me. But yeah, I thought once you become a Darth, that's it. You're a Darth. You, you, you're not. There's no going back. Your you're eyes Darth, turn yellow. You're a Darth and, all the way. You're a Darth all the way. <laughs> 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 right? Because well, once Anakin turned, his eyes got yellow, and and that was it. He's he's now Darth Vader. No yeah, came back. a little jaundice, and then he was ready to go. Ready to, ready to go. go. I'm ready to go slaughter some children. <laughs> some younglings. <laughs> All right, so let, let's talk about it, the Yoda fight scene. I mean, if you guys want to. Did you expect that? Did you know it was coming? No. Okay. I, I did not. All right, because it wasn't uh, in the trailer. I watched the trailer again before this this broadcast here, and, and it, it, they, they revealed so much about the movie. Obviously, they didn't reveal that scene. Uh you know, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, the whole audience again was cheering when he did that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you same think it was same cheesy? You, yeah. here. Same here. I mean, he looked like a mosquito just the way he was jumping around. It was so awesome. I didn't even know he had a lightsaber up until then. Again, I'm not the complete Star Wars books and comics nerd. I'm, I'm more about the movies and what I see on the screen. And I didn't know he even had a lightsaber up until that point. I was like, oh wow. I thought he just was the the telekinesis master, he can move things with his brain, and, you know, the old sage master, I didn't know he could fight. Let me let me uh, mention something real quick since we're on the subject of lightsabers. I love the scene where um, uh, Obi-Wan walks in and all the kids are standing there with the helmets and the remotes or whatever and the lightsabers. Yeah. But 
I'm really going to give a four-year-old a freaking lightsaber. <laughs> it has a blunt edge. Because I wouldn't. I would not. I'm sorry. I would not give a four-year-old a lightsaber. It'll only burn you a little bit. It won't cut through you. It's, it's got low power. Low, yeah, low power. Low voltage. It's low a low voltage, voltage lightsaber. Yeah. It, it did. It did bother me how how awkwardly those kids kind of kind of swung around those those mini lightsabers too. It was just. The exercise felt futile. I wasn't sure what Yoda was trying to teach them. Yeah. I mean, I know he was he was trying to work with them with the Force. It just it just seemed very silly. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a callback to you know what, what Ben was trying to teach Luke. Yeah, yeah, it's an obvious callback to that. I guess oh. that that's lesson one. That's Jedi lesson one, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and part of your path to becoming a Jedi is you have to build your own lightsaber. So I, I always just assumed he had one, just never really thought much about it, to be honest with you. But, but well, yeah, it was yeah, a cool scene. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you figure, he, you know, how does he 900 years old? You just figure that, oh, he just doesn't do that anymore. He just uses yeah. telekinesis. But no, he's he's a warrior. He's, he's definitely formidable. And he even said that Dooku was his Padawan. So yep. yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it was I mean the, the, all that stuff you know then the whole even the fight the Obi-Wan uh Anakin Dooku fight was pretty cool. I mean and oh, you yeah. know Anakin picking up both lightsabers and then getting his his arm cut off. You know all that stuff. That so here, here's here's not to backtrack too much but uh before the movie, you know when the when these movies come out I tend to because the, the internet of 2002 even wasn't the internet of 2015 or even 2012. Um, but you know, so when, when any of the actors, producers, whatever would appear on, you know, Leno or Letterman or anything like that, I always tended to try and watch all that stuff. And so they had Hayden Christensen on Leno and I was like, Oh, I'm going to check this out. It was like, I don't know, three weeks before the movie hit, maybe two weeks. Um, it was very close. Um, and apparently the toys were getting ready to come out and Leno had, had Hayden on there and he's like, Oh, you've even got your own action figure and he's holding up the action figure and he's bouncing it around and the arm falls off the figure with the lightsaber in it not like at the (laughs) at the joint like it was just you know it was made poorly it it was like right you know above the elbow (laughs) and i was like spoiler and I was like, you have got to be effing kidding me. It's like, I purposely didn't, you know, read the back of the soundtrack this time to get spoiled like episode one, and I'll be damned if I didn't get spoiled again. It's like, ugh. Now, so, now, do you think that was just clumsiness on Leno's part, or do you think it was part of a bit? I No, I think the figure, I, he had, because even when it happened, like, he was like, he didn't know what to say, and the crowd was just like, started laughing. It was like everybody held their breath when it happened in the crowd. He totally knew, like, he's like, well, I guess that cat's out of the bag or something like that. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just it was it was totally unintentional. But uh, I don't think he realized even, you know, that that was going to happen. But so the whole movie, I'm like waiting for this to happen. Like the whole droid factory thing when he got his arm caught in the when the plate came down. I'm like, oh, here it is. And uh, and then it didn't happen. And then I th- <laughs> I think by the time they actually had the fight, I kind of sort of forgot and uh, and so then when his arm got whacked, I was it actually kind of caught me a little bit by surprise, but mm-hmm. for about like a third of a second, and then I was like, oh yeah, dummy, you saw this on <laughs> Leno. Now, do you think that Dooku didn't finish off uh, Anakin because he knew that the Emperor had plans for him? Palpatine had plans for him. Yeah, that's my guess. Yeah, 
Okay. I was just curious. But I mean, about Yoda that. did come in and you know kind of distract him before he could completely finish it off. That's but. true. He took his arm off, and two seconds later, Yoda walks in. But I mean, it just yeah. I guess they, they he knew try not to damage this guy too much because we got right. some plans for him. Okay. Well, the Emperor's a little bit you know like Apocalypse, a little survival of the fittest you know with him. Where mm-hmm. you know it's like okay, if this if this kid truly is the chosen one and meant to be there, then. He'll find a way to not, you know, succumb to it. I, I would assume, but well, we find out in the early scenes of the next episode that <laughs> Dooku's going to regret that one. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. That was it was a good fight scene. I enjoyed it. I want to go back real quick to the the clones and and the, the, their position in the movie for a second because again, watching the trailer just now, they made it seem like the clones were going to be a big part of this movie, and to me, they really weren't. Like they were just. They were built, but they weren't really the bad guys. They were kind of working with the Jedi to stop this other army of droids. It just there was no threat there with the clones. And they, the name of the movie is Attack of the Clones. So it's like I guess they, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess technically they, they did attack, <laughs> but it <laughs> didn't attack them right. And they were clones. Yeah. So and they were clones. clones. But, okay, <laughs> but it's it's just kind of funny if you think about it. It's all like, um, like oh hey, we're the Republic and we didn't commission this you know clone army and you know this is really a bad thing and you know we're going to investigate and then when it all hits the fan it's like eh, i guess they're laying around i guess we'll just, <laughs> might as well use them yeah i guess we paid for them i mean uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like here. having credit at best buy it's like well i guess you know, i guess i should use it, it yeah. you know no it's just funny because and even going back to a new hope uh star wars the clone wars were talked about like it was a big deal and i haven't yeah. really watched the Clone Wars is necessarily the cartoon or whatever it may be, but it's, so it's like, good. yeah, I, I heard good things about it. It's just, I don't know. They didn't seem like they were that much of a threat, and they really weren't. They were just part of an army that was created to help save the Republic. Right. That was definitely a spectacle part. Like, just to see all those clones and stuff like that, that was pretty amazing. But as you said, they were not a threat at all. It was just kind of cool to see them, to see them mass-produced and in yeah. formation and all that stuff. Stormtroopers version oh. 1.0. I mean, that was yeah. really what they are. Do you and guys was- – I, I don't know if you guys ever heard this theory. This was like um, – it might have been after – it might have been after episode one, but there, there was this whole theory that that um, and I think it was an older theory, too. But I heard about it back after episode one that uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi was actually going to be a clone or something like that, be- especially right. because of his name, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. They thought maybe that that was some type of clone code. Do you mm, guys remember yeah. this? Yeah, I, I have heard this one. theory. Yeah. yeah. Um. There's also yeah, a theory I, that the stormtroopers can't aim or anything because they're like clones of clones of clones, like with, you know, zero, like, <laughs> like Michael Keaton in Multiplicity, you know. <laughs> but I was halfway expecting something like uh, when Ben was unraveling that mystery that maybe at the end, at the other end, he was going to find out it was him or something like that. That was in the back of my mind. Um, that kind of would have been cool if it had been, but. That would ruin canon from that movie forward. I'm thinking out loud at this point. Sorry. Yeah, and then you know, it kind of one of the things that this movie did, I think, was give the misnomer that from this point forward, every stormtrooper was all a cl- you know they were all clones, right? And I don't think it helped that in A New Hope they replaced the voice of the stormtroopers, you know, with 
um, Tamira Morrison's voice. Oh, did they actually replace them with that voice? I didn't I know think, that. Yeah, I think they did. But I, th- so that was never... Not, so now they're not all clones? No, I, I never got the impression that they were... Like, all of them were clones. Uh, you know, I think they're... Because there were some that were very young at that point, but... Uh, you know, they kind of made it sound like, you know, that after the war, that was it. There were no more clones, you know, that that that, you know, they, they stopped that. So they had to recruit. I mean, there were a lot of stories. I mean, now they're not canon, but, you know, a big part of the EU for a long time was this Imperial Military, you know, Academy on Carida, um, which later got blown up. But but you think about it like Luke wanted to join the Academy. Han was in the Academy. Mm-hmm. You know, Biggs was in the Academy. So they kind of set up the precedent that. They're not all clones. Like the the Empire did recruit non clones. So yeah. Uh, so, so it you know you know and that's what the whole thing with you know when they cast John Boyega as a stormtrooper, it's like how can he be a stormtrooper? They're all clones. It's like no, they're not all clones. See, I, I thought by A New Hope, I didn't know they revoiced those stormtroopers that were talking in A New Hope. I had no idea about that. I thought by the time we got to A New Hope, Camino stopped making clones for them. That was it. They got their initial order that 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 was ordered for them. <laughs> and then by the time a new hope rolls around, they have recruits. They have just... initial order. Yeah, they have yeah, initial sorry. order. I know. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just funny. It's like you're talking about you know just to print, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, and I think that's a good way to to think about it too. Um, they have know, just they recruits, just normal people. Yeah. You know, I mean, who who's working on the ships? Like those guys in the 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 imperial, you know, the officers yeah. and what have you, yeah. Admiral Nidoc and all that. I mean. Those guys had to come from somewhere. It's the you know conscripted conscripted people or people that enlisted. You, it's, but it's the independent contractors. <laughs> that really Something like this happens, you know. That's who really speaking. Sucks. Speaking of which, we got our first glimpse of the future Death Star in in this one too. Like the 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 whole on Geonosis that was part of oh, the yeah. plans. Yeah, you know they they ran off with. So that was kind of cool to to see that. So yeah, that was pretty cool. And you know, one last thing that the trailer teased us a bit with was the, and I won't talk about the trailer anymore, but they had the Darth Vader voice, uh, the excuse me, the breath behind uh, the last few frames of that trailer. And again, we didn't see much foreshadowing here of where Anakin was going. We know where he's going, but they couldn't again show me or tease me a little bit where this is going to go. I mean, you see him obviously turning to the dark side a bit when he slaughters the Sand People and. He's getting emotional. He's going crazy over Padme, and you can see his decline from being a Jedi. But why did they put that that Darth Vader breath into the trailer for? Why? I mean, just just to tease us again as fans. Is that what they're doing? Sure. Okay. Of course. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, if, again, I think we we kind of touched on this, you know, last time, but. I think that's where the fallacy or the flaw in making him so young in Episode One is is that the turn comes too quick like it just you know it's it's almost like a snap instead of a gradual thing mm-hmm. and and there are hints in this movie uh, you know that he obviously has the leanings to it but you know by the end you know given where he's at it just i, I don't know i i just i mean that that's the one i think i think of all the things that the the original the the prequels did more than anything is just kind of botch that journey and that transformation i mean it it you know, ultimately he gets there, and ultimately the original trilogy is kind of about his redemption. But uh, and that's, you know, but that's supposed to be the whole crux of what it was supposed to be about. Sure, sure, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's his me. It's his like it's supposed to be his, you know, Joseph Campbell journey to, to show us how he got that way. And it's, you're right; it's just kind of botched. And I, I, again, I didn't think Hayden Christensen really had like the emotional depth to kind of 
pull that yeah. kind of turn off to make him likable to begin with, and then to turn him to the dark side and make us care about him when he did, because I sure didn't. Should he have been older at this point too? Like, I get, or is he older when he starts really turning in the in the next movie? I mean, is because the way Obi Wan makes it sound like, oh, they were good friends, and I guess they were between these two movies, right? Is that what it was? They were, yeah, during well, the Clone in, Wars itself and prior to. Okay, you know, I mean, you know, at the end of Episode One, he said, "I will train you." He takes him on as mm. his Padawan. Okay, so for ten years they've been together. They've been together, and right. then and then how many ever years or to how much time it's been between episode two and three? So I mean, yeah, for the you know better part of probably fifteen years, these two have been almost inseparable. So mm. okay, that makes sense. Do you do you think this is uh, you know thinking forward ten fifteen years in the future? Do you think Disney, if they still have the rights and stuff like that, would consider remaking episode one, two, and three? Uh you know, mm. I, I don't think so because I, I think what's, I think what'll eventually end up happening is they're going to keep cranking out movies to kind of forward the narrative and kind of put things in between where they feel like make good stories until it goes out of favor again. I mean, mm-hmm. everything is cyclical. I mean, we you know eventually we're going to see it with superhero movies. We saw it with westerns, with musicals, with you know you know, crime noir, you know, movies in, in, you know, decades past. And I think when the property lays fallow and has been kind of shelved for long enough, if Disney retains it, if they don't sell the rights to somebody else or whatever, um, or, if, you know, depending on how long it is and copyright, it goes back, you know, who know, who knows what's going to happen. I think at that point they'll probably just start over again. Yeah, that's um, a, that's a good point. You know, completely just basically say, Okay, we haven't had a Star Wars movie in nine years. We're just going to basically say all of that stuff is is done, and we're going to start over. Well, I mean, it's an evergreen thing too. I mean, they're building the Star Wars part of the amusement park, and sure, you know, they're really. I mean, it's a huge uh, investment in the IP over a period of time. And even if the movies do go out of favor, they already have like four that are you know at least have production booked that are like you know ready to ready to go um, that we know of. But um, I, I mean, it, like you said, after if after the last of, I mean, episode nine or whatever uh, that comes out and it doesn't make the you know doesn't you know make you know the kind of money they they wanted to, they can you know like you said chill for a decade or whatever and come back and you know go back to the nostalgia from the kids who saw episode one and stuff. You know? I, I think we've seen enough of the Anakin slash Obi Wan era anyway. I mean, we had three right. whole movies already of this of that. So for them to go back and redo it. I think Plus, what, six seasons of the Clone Wars cartoon? The Clone Wars, <laughs> which is in between two and three, right? Is that where that takes yeah. place? Okay, yeah. so... Yeah. I, I mean, I think they've already we've already seen enough of this era. They're probably ready to move on from it, uh, unless we're talking a reboot. But I don't see why they would do that. Well, I mean, Disney's been kind of distancing themselves from the prequel stuff anyway. Mm. So this so, thing is so uh, far yeah. in the past, it doesn't matter. Look at look yeah. at episodes four, five, and six, and we're taking it right from there. Mm. That's, yeah, I mean, it, that's what they're doing. I mean, to some degree. I mean, you know, the the Disney. You look look at the Disney Infinity thing, the the toy, um, the, the video game toys to life, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, the biggest component of that starter set was, you know, act, I guess it technically is Clone Wars, not prequel movies per se, but you know, it's Anakin, Obi Wan, Ahsoka. You know, it's it's right. that it's that journey. Well, kids know the cartoon. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so you know, it's it's they haven't completely walked away from it, but yeah, I don't see 
too much revisiting of of that. Like I don't think in these anthology movies we're gonna get um, you know too much taking place between episodes one one and two. I mean, I I would like I don't know about you guys, but I would love to see one of these anthology movies or these you know whatever they call them uh, um, be be an Obi Wan story. I think they could do a really cool, origins an origin yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they could they could bring. Uh, you and McGregor back, and I think they could do a really cool, you know, hey, this is what happened to Obi Wan for twenty years while he was wandering around the desert, and um, you know, I, I think there's 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 some interesting stuff they could do there. Yeah, yeah. Kit Fisto, the early years. <laughs> General Grievous. <laughs> I also want to shout out real quick. I mean, everyone knows the the CGI um, Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon. But there was also a, a regular a line animation uh, Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon that came out after pretty soon after Episode Two came out. It was done by Jendi Tartakovsky, the guy oh, who created so uh, Dexter's Lab and Samurai Jack and all that. And if you haven't seen those, you really should because I I like the I would stack those against anything else in the canon. They were really good. I cherish those. I I have the DVD and uh, they're just so good. Yeah, I just wish they had gone on with this. Yeah. Now all of that is still canon. All of those Clone Wars and and uh, the animated that's all still canon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Star Wars generational thing, you know, about the movies going forward and stuff like that. They've already introduced a, a new generation of of characters with having the originals in there, you know, with Han and Leia and Luke and and you know, they're not trying to replace Han. They're just or Leia or Luke. They're just adding to this canon. So I guess, I guess they just could move forward as long as they bring on new characters and let the other characters either, you know, retire or die or or whatever, and just just have the story continually go on with like something like superhero movies. There always has to be an Iron Man. You know, there there always mm. has to be a Spider Man. It, it can't be like like Spider Man's son or Iron Man right. Junior. Batman just, Beyond. I wish the only it would. I could think of. Yeah. yeah. I honestly wish it would. I mean, I really like the <laughs> legacy stories in comic books. I mean, yeah. Look at Wally West as the Flash. That Mark Ray, Wade uh, Brian Augustin run. You know, right after Barry died, when he had to take up the mantle of his mentor. I mean, that's a yeah. compelling story, dude. But yeah, instead, pretty... we'll just get it rebooted every every seven or eight years. Why not? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it'd be easy for them to like, you know, you know, by by the time the episode nine is out, that'll be what like seven or eight years down the road. Twenty nineteen, I think, is episode nine because okay. so tw- we're twenty fifteen. It's a four or five years then. Yeah, but so I mean, they could seven... let it breathe and then bring back, you know, Daisy Ridley and uh, and Oscar Isaacs and and John Boyega sure. as sure. much as they brought back Mark Hamill and Harrison mm-hmm. Ford and Carrie Fisher this time. So. Yep. Did the uh, did the droid stuff bother you a little bit in this movie? Like R 2s functionality was so incredible that he can fly around now and all that. Oh, yeah. Did that bug? Did that bug yeah, anybody? It didn't, it didn't bother me. Okay. It 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 didn't make me happy. I mean, I I thought eh, cool, but it, it's just like dude, the the little guy's a Swiss Army knife, man. Is, is there nothing he can't <laughs> Boy, do? You know, that would have been helpful droids. when they were trapped on Tatooine in the desert for him to fly around to find a way out. Uh, See, that's what I was yeah. thinking. Right? It's like <laughs> kind of forgot that he, he knew how, huh? Or maybe he just, you know, got a little bit busted up. He lost, He's a little broken 30 years later. He lost some of his functionality. Yeah. Didn't know those parts. <laughs> he had his memory wiped and his functionality wiped. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I was just going to talk some numbers stuff real quick. We didn't do that last time. 
Um, so of the of the six movies, this one ranks fourth in all time do- domestic box office. So episode one, for as much as we gripe, was is still highest of the six until December. Until until thirty days from now, yes, <laughs> and it's all out the window. Not for inflation and everything. Uh, no, that's not adjusted. It's just, it's just straight up uh, dollar for dollar. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying. To, I'm looking on Box Office Mojo. So I mean, obviously, if you were to adjust, the first Star Wars movie made the most money. Oh yeah, no question, no question. Um, but worldwide, Attack of the Clones made 650 million. So mm-hmm. it was pretty, you know, even split between domestic and foreign. A little bit more on the foreign side. I think this is this is about when we started to kind of sort of see that shift. Um, you know, where the foreign box office got to be a bigger and bigger deal. Um, and episode one was a billion. I mean, we crossed, so it was 474 domestic and 552 foreign. And that's in 1999 dollars. That's not adjusted. So it's it's a billion dollars uh, worldwide. So yeah, we're probably, and adjusted, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably closer to 1.4, 1.7. And this is right when DVDs are really becoming affordable for everybody. DVD players yeah. are right around this time. Uh, it was because of episode one that I bought my first DVD player. Well, there you go. And, and that was the first DVD I ever bought too. That's even that better. Also, that was also why the PlayStation Two was such uh, was like one of the best selling game consoles of all time. Right. Cause it was the cheapest at that point. It was the cheapest DVD player you could buy. So, but yeah, that was starting to become a thing, and the extra extra uh, features on DVDs, the featurettes and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was one thing about the the, <laughs> the prequels. Like they really like documented a lot behind the scenes. Yes, yeah, like, they did uh, intensely. They did. You know, I, George I did is a visionary. Notice- yeah, I, I did notice that on the uh, the bonus disc for episode two, uh, there's a there's an area where you can browse all the web. It specifically says you know the web documentaries or something. So I, I do remember that you could go to their website and watch these little snippets of the movie being made and stuff. And now yeah, yeah. and now they're on there. So that kind of shows you how much the web had jumped up at that point that we could actually watch some type of, you know, even though it's small, some type of streaming video is becoming a little more uh, accessible. Marvel had a web video of Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen standing in front of a green screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all it was. <laughs> so we cloned out? Yeah. yeah. I, I liked it, though. I, I'll, I'll say it again. I, I didn't walk out of this theater, uh, I guess, not happy. I, I thought it was a bit long. I, I think I said that even... Driving home, I remember that that was a long movie. Like it just was a lot jammed into that movie. Um, so I guess by saying that, I guess it felt long. Not that it was long, it felt long. But I liked it. I didn't have any big problems with it except the clunky dialogue with the love scenes. I was cringing literally in the seats. I I, I didn't feel like I got ripped off at of the box office. I enjoyed it. I saw it multiple times in the theater, once digitally, the rest on old school film. And uh, it was it was a good time. I mean, it was it was fine. I was looking forward to the next one. We really wanted to see when Darth Vader came to life. That's that's what we were waiting for throughout these this whole prequel trilogy. Like, okay, when how does he get into that suit? That's what I wanted to know. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I don't know. After the Phantom Menace, my like I said, my expectations were quite lower. So I mean I thought it was I thought it was okay. The, the some of the scenes uh, though like like we're saying they really were cringeworthy. Like the the, the scene in the sunflower field especially 
Ugh. Just reminded oh. me of like it reminded me of like a summer's eve commercial or something, you know. I thought, the dinner. <laughs> yeah, or the dinner or the fire oh, the, 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 and the in the fireplace. You know? I wish I could just wish I'm away dr- these feelings and I'm oh. dressed like a bondage queen, but no, don't think of me that way. Oh, <laughs> no, don't think of me. I'm I'm dressed in like a leather straps, but no, don't think of me that way. <laughs> oh, Annie. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, everything everyone said, but, you know, they left on such a great high note. I mean, gosh, it was just, I walked out of that theater just like, yeah, that was awesome. And part of me is like, well, if we had to suffer the prequels to get the Clone Wars, then it was worth it. Because the, I mean, the, the, and the Clone Wars has some really cringeworthy, uh, eye rolly episodes as well, but again, kind of geared towards kids. But there's some really good stuff uh, in the in those, especially the towards the end. It really got better and it got um, it got a lot more serious. And I, I actually enjoyed the stuff that was more focused on the clones than the stuff that was about the main characters. I mean, they 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 did quite a few episodes that were just on, uh, you know, like Rex or. Cody and and you know a squadron of those guys and you know the kind of their their day to day stuff and what was going on and how they tried to you know get a little bit of individuality and personality and and it was it was good stuff. Um, but like I said, it could be could be a little hit or miss. But it, it all that stuff is on Netflix, so I encourage everybody to to check it out. And if you're watching an episode. You know that's about the droids and some silliness. Then just skip it. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, you know they're usually two or three episode arcs. So you know, skip it until you get to some good stuff. But uh, but you know, there there's some stuff at the end with Ahsoka where she kind of goes on trial uh, for something, and the, all that stuff was just fa- phenomenal. I mean, it was really really well done. You know, and, uh, every so often I'll try to start watching the Clone Wars, and I kind of hit those like silly ones, and then I lose interest in it. So you think it's okay just to kind of skip forward? Okay. Skip them. Yeah, there's. You know that you know one thing I'll say about the Clone Wars is the the you know the the Netflix you know the animated stuff they did on Cartoon Network. I mean, there's not much that really is a is a through narrative. I mean, they usually do them in two to three episode chunks, and so you know for the most part, unless they go back to a character that appre- appeared in a previous arc, there's not much that you're really missing if you just skipped them. I mean, like I said, there's there's a few episodes in there that are really kind of clunky. Um, you know, it was on for six seasons basically. Cause that, that last season was, um, never aired, but, but put on Netflix. So I think I can't remember exactly how many episodes there were total, but it was over a hundred. Um, and I'd say maybe 70 of them. Yeah. I'd say maybe 70 of them were, were pretty good. And, you know, maybe 30 of them were, you know, mediocre to clunky. So speaking I, of I kids stuff, a... uh, the, the new rating on the force awakens just came out and it's PG 13. Yeah. I'm, so wrong. that got me a little bit even more excited to see this saying, wow, so maybe this is going to be more of an adult themed or not adult theme, but less silliness and more action and adult type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, with JJ on it, I wasn't too worried about the silly aspect of it, but I was, I, I guess for selfish reasons, I was really hoping for a PG, solid PG rating just because I know some parents are kind of finicky about that stuff i mean mm. when my kids were little we were tended to be a little more liberal when it came to like what we let them watch um my daughter-in-law is a little more conservative when it comes to that so it may be a bit of a fight with my son and my daughter-in-law to get my grandson to go see it because he's only four um but me and my son are gonna you know and my daughter are gonna see it first and so if there's anything really egregious then 
Um, we'll see, but I don't know. My son is pretty adamant that I don't care what it's rated. I'm taking the boy. So, well, I'm uh, sure it's not nudity, and I'm sure it's not no. profanity. It's probably no. just some some gore, mild gore, if anything, mild CG yeah. lightsaber gore, if anything. Yeah. Maybe it's just tone. You know, I mean, it looks like the um, you know the Kylo Ren character is going to be pretty menacing. Yeah, and, pretty badass. Um, yeah, and you know, we did see some blood on the stormtrooper uniform, so it could be just. You know, just a couple scenes that are maybe a little intense. So I, I don't know. I, yeah. you know, I was really pushing for a PG rating. I mean, but in the big scheme of things, it's probably not. Probably like BB-8 dropping f bombs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> in the subtitles, know, embarrassing. Yeah, I know there's that one TV. There's that one TV spot when Han looks at uh, Finn and says, "Are you ready for this?" And he said, "I think he says, hell yeah' or something like that.' Right. Or, you know, um, which I mean, that's you know, that's." I mean that's mild. I mean that's that's nothing. But um, I'm sure they would have liked to get a PG though. I'll tell you that much right now. Uh, maybe I don't. I don't think you know. I I think they you know again they probably just look at it and say okay does that um, hurt or help the ratings? I'm sure somebody crunched numbers somewhere and probably said you know what it probably gives us bigger box office to do PG-13 than PG. Mm. But uh, you know who knows. I mean, I, I guess that 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 kind of stems down to family. I mean, you know, I'm a single guy. I never look at the ratings. I just go to the movie. It means nothing to me. So, you know, if a movie's PG or R, it really doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to the movie. So, uh, you know, and, and family people, you know, I know if you have a family and you have your kids, you have to be concerned about that kind of stuff. So it's kind of hard for me to relate to that. Well, and it's also, you know, I, I, we could probably do another two-hour episode on the rating system in this country, but, uh, you know, the the variety of what you get in a PG-13 from one extreme to the other is pretty insane. I mean, I, I would consider the Marvel movies pretty PG-13 light. Um, you know, the, I mean, the, the, you know, there's not much in there that's really that bad. A little bit of language, but I don't think any, you know, it's 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 passed over quickly and it's not really you know, harped on, uh, you know, the, the Iron Man movies were fair, you know, especially the first two were pretty mild. The first Captain America was, you know, pretty mild. Uh, Thor was again, pretty mild, but you know, and then you have stuff on the far extreme. I I think like the Wolverine, uh, I think, you know, even, even the last X-Men movie, I think kind of take it, uh, you know, maybe to the other extreme where you get your obligatory F bomb and, um, you know, there's a little more pervasive language and, and, and things are a little more adult in nature. So, uh, you know, it doesn't make it easy when you're rating, you know, movie, you know, like what does PG mean these days versus PG 13 versus R, you know, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like a checkbox. It's like, Oh, if you use the F bomb twice, it's R. If you use it once, it's PG 13. If you, you know, show this much skin, you know, it's this, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I remember it was a big deal when Revenge of the, Revenge of the Sith came out that it got a PG 13 rating in the, they said it was because of the scene where Anakin slaughters the the younglings, but you don't even see that. I thought it was because of the where he gets basically hacked up into pieces, and and yeah. his, you know, and then there's that one scene where he's laying on the the table and he's you know burnt to a crisp and mm-hmm. has his limbs missing and stuff. And but I, but I do think I do think honestly, it, it, a large part of it was the younglings, and not because they showed it, but because it was heavily implied. Um, there's a uh, if if you want a really good documentary about this, there's a, it's called "This Film Is Not Yet Rated." Awesome, and it really goes Maybe. into the, uh, the whole rating system in depth and what's wrong with it and why it should be you know probably just getting rid of gotten rid of and uh, and 
dismantled. Uh, it's a really good documentary all about what goes into, you know, why, you know, you get one F-bomb with a PG-13, but two makes it an R, or, you know, this one because it had, you know, male nudity is, is rated, you know, R, NC-17, but this one because there's female nudity can be, you know, uh, is, is more of a soft R. It's just, uh, it's a really interesting documentary and uh, kind of just kind of exposes a lot of the inherent hypocrisy in that's in the MPAA system. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. You know, just uh, uh, um, a small comment on when when you said uh, hard R or soft R, Jim, it reminded me of an episode of The Simpsons where Homer was talking to someone from Hollywood. I can't remember what the scenario was, but he wanted to know when the Captain Crunch movie was coming out. And if it was going to be an R or a hard R. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Captain Crunch. The Captain Crunch movie. Sweet. All right. Well, I guess we're cloned out now. We've we've uh, these have been good discussions. I, I enjoy I enjoy talking to you guys about this because it's like Absolutely. I said, it's not it's not as much about the movie as much as it is about. Um, you know, kind of our experiences and what was going on. Turning back the, the clock to 2002, you know, just kind yeah. of rewinding a little bit. It's it's cool. Yeah. yeah. It it makes me really uh, looking forward to when we get to episodes to we you know four, five, and six because we'll be setting the wayback machine even further uh, for those. And so so I'll be I'll be uh, looking. We kind of purposely did them this way. Um, I wanted to end on a high note and not a low note. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I, th- I think we think of the original trilogy much more favorably, so I wanted these discussions to kind of be, uh, you know, p- more positive. And I think I think definitely the nostalgia factor and what we'll have to say about the, you know, about those will be will be generally positive. Um, but yeah, so we will be back soon to talk about episode three, um, and then, like I said, we'll be over the next few weeks. We'll be. Wrapping this up in anticipation to uh, episode seven, which uh, I think we're all super excited about the Force Awakens. <laughs> oh yeah! I don't have wait, tickets yet. A... Am I in trouble? Am I going to have to wait a week <laughs> to see this movie or what? Wait, yes. Whoa, 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 stop! Rewind. There's another Star Wars movie coming out. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. It's <laughs> a new Star Wars movie. Oh, sweet! I'll have to see a matinee. Is it going to be R or too. hard R? Yes, it's going to be R or hard R. Is it, is it going to have uh, this, this, the Wookiee porn from the uh, holiday special? Or? The Wookiee porn. Okay. We should have done an episode on the holiday special, dude. Oh, man. That's on YouTube, Yo. right? You, you can pull that up, can't you? Yes. Yeah, you can. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's public domain. It's terrible. It, oh, it's very terrible. Didn't uh, George deny its it existence the... for a while? Like, didn't he say it didn't it never he did existed? Everything he tried to do. He tried to do everything he could to, to like, get rid of it and, and squash <laughs> it and make it go away and disappear about it. Thanks to industrial bootleggers uh, since the yeah. 70s, it's been around. I mean, you'd be able to, I mean, I, I got, remember, I got like a DVD of a, a Comic-Con in the 90s, late 90s. Yeah. I think. It was the first time I, I ever got to actually see it. And but, and uh, if you uh, if you ever get a chance to, to watch it, the only number way, alone <laughs> is worth the price of admission. The only way to really, truly watch it is with a rip the rift racks version yeah, absolutely. because it it, yeah. it is pretty unwatchable that is not an yes. exaggeration it is bad if you're gonna but watch it's such a product tracks it's such a product of its time though i mean it's it's so it is it is starring art carney it, yeah art, i mean there's like a wistful there's a wistful romantic interlude scene between harvey corman and b arthur yeah i'm watching right now on youtube but you know, the Wookiee what family, got. what is this? Like the Wookiee family? Yeah, it's, it's Chewie's family. Day. Lumpy, Itchy, mm-hmm. and uh, Amara. 
Oh, this is terrible. This is it's funny because in the, the EU... First eight, the first eight minutes is all in Wookiee. There's no yeah. dialogue. It's hilarious because in the EU, which is all gone now, but the, the Chewie's son was actually called Lumpa, Lumpa Waru? Lumpa Waru? Like, they basically made it seem like, oh, yeah, in this holiday special, they called him Lumpy, and that was short for... <laughs> for his full name, so they re- so they uh, they justified it. <laughs> they did. It's just kind of amazing that, that there's a scene where uh, the grandfather, who's itchy, right, um, gets like the disc from Art Carney, and Art Carney's like, "Hey, there's some spicy stuff on there for you, old man." Yuck, yuck, yuck! You know, kind of giving him the ribs, you know. And he puts it in. It's Diane Carroll doing a musical number. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is Wookie porn. Wow. <laughs> This is terrible. Wow. Oh, it, it I'm, so I'm scanning through it. Carrie that's Fisher's what we in got it, at that, yeah. you know, it Oh, they were all in it. Harrison Ford. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hamilton, they were all. sings. Yeah. Like two songs, I think. I mean, I mean it's, it's, uh, it's whoever said it was, it's, it's, it's of its time. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, Bob, the Bob Hope Christmas specials and, you know, music, you know, TV musical stuff. I mean, you know, it's back in the, uh, the era of, uh, Carol Burnett show. I mean, yeah, yeah Carol Burnett show. If, um, and if you guys um, really want to see an artifact, okay, you can look it up on YouTube. Richard Pryor had a very short lived show called the Richard Pryor show in the late seventies. And one of the episodes of the show, he used sets from the Moss Eisley bar and some of the props from star Wars to do a star Wars sketch on the show. That is oh, cool. Really? Huh. But yeah, like you said, it's very much of its time as the kind of thing where you know, hey, this is the hot popular thing. We're going to put it all over network TV. And but um, technically, the holiday special is the, the first time we ever saw Boba Fett. Yes, yeah, the animated part of that. So yeah, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Frank. The riff tracks um, makes it uh, a worth watching for sure. All right, so we're going to actually close this out on. On the the holiday special. Well, That's it's the holidays. It, it is the holidays. It is the holidays. Thanksgiving's yes. upon us. <laughs> life day is here. Let us celebrate life day with our Wookiee friends and family. On that note, thanks for listening, everybody, <laughs> and uh, join us back for episode three here very shortly. 